Hello there, Alaskans, wherever you are. Welcome to the Must Read Alaska Show, coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. This is the place where we talk about, you guessed it, Alaska, where we keep the mainstream media on their toes and where we are standing up for what's right and a world run by leftists. You can find out more by heading over to mustreadalaska.com and also checking out the Must Read Alaska YouTube channel for some really great content. But first, let's get this party started. Thank you, Scott. Welcome aboard, everyone, to Must Read Alaska, coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. This is the place for conservatives to exchange ideas about Alaska politics and where politics is always the talk of the town on the last frontier. I'm Suzanne Downing, and my co-host, John Quick, is on the other mic. Scott is on the soundboard, and you can hear him also on the new Wednesday edition of the Must Read Alaska show, where he is co-host. He's hosting it by himself, so he's doing a great job. It's a great show. You can tune in on Mondays, Monday afternoons, and then again on Wednesday, Wednesday, Thursday for that show, and uh, lots and lots of good content. So, John, what's going on in the Kenai Peninsula? Hello, Suzanne. Yes, I encourage everybody to check out the Must Read Alaska show on Wednesday and Thursday because Scott Levesque is handling the show and he does a great job. He was on there for about 40 minutes last time laying down some truth for everybody. So I yeah, he's, quite a, he's, quite a, he's, he's quite a chatter. The guy has the gift of gab, but he's got the golden voice of radio. So you got to listen to him. Yeah. Uh, things are going well in the Kenai Peninsula. We, uh, you know, last week we had a little bit of a uh, protest at the uh, last school board meeting, which was kind of fun. We, there's probably about, you know, uh, 30, 40 people that showed up in the freezing, in the rain. And, and the cool part about that was we had uh, several kids that would be either attending the, the Kenai Peninsula Borough Schools or that maybe have, uh, you know, gone the homeschool route and would like to attend the Kenai Peninsula Borough Schools. And, uh, you know, they, they came out and they showed their discontent with the leadership of the Kenai Peninsula Borough School District. And I think it's always good when folks authorize or uh, can do that in a, uh, in a way that is not uh, burning down buildings or rioting or anything like that. It's very peaceful uh, protest. And what came of that was uh, the school board actually kind of listened, which was great. So what the school board or what the school district leadership did, the superintendent was, they thought, well, we should probably actually hear from parents. And so they, for the first time, sent out a survey uh, that was, in my opinion, uh, unbiased, which is great. The first, they've done a couple other surveys before and they were super biased. You couldn't really even fill them out without saying that you were pro-COVID and wanted to shut down schools and have your kids wear 47 different kinds of masks. And this one was uh, very unbiased and just wanted to have people's opinions on should kids be in school. And uh, I think it was a great job on their part to show, okay, you know, maybe we got this wrong. Maybe we have been hearing from actual real parents that want their kids in schools and uh, we'll see what comes of it, but at least they listened a little bit. But they're not in school yet, right? Nope, uh, not in school. And, uh, you know, the thing about the thing, the difference between the Kenai Peninsula School uh, District and the Anchorage School District is, you know, in Anchorage, you have bigger numbers. And so I think you can kind of get away with stuff without people hearing about it and hearing it through the grapevine. Kenai Peninsula School District, it's all small towns and parents are very, very, very involved. And you can't, you know, make a one bad decision without uh, parents hearing about it and getting upset. And so 
they, I hope that the, that the school district leadership and the school board listen to parents who, who really want and need their kids in schools because they have to go to work, they have lives, and they're counting on their sales tax dollars go and they fund the schools and their property tax dollars go and fund the schools and their kids have nowhere to go right now. Right, right. You know, if we if we want, we could just you know pull our kids all out of these public schools and put them in private schools. But you know, we just weren't ready for that. There was probably plenty of organizations that would like to try their own private school if they had been given the warning that the public schools were simply going to shut down, as they have here in Anchorage. For we haven't our our schools haven't been open here since March fifteenth, and uh, of course they're closed. They're closed now, and they doesn't look like they're going to open anytime soon. They're, the teachers simply won't go back to school, and that's uh, we'll, we'll get to that topic later. Well, very good. So before we get started, I want to remind everybody that this week is Veterans Day. It's um, so. Veterans Day is November 11th, and I just want to give a big shout out to everybody in the listening audience who has served our country. It is something that I haven't done, but my brother was in Special Forces. I'm so proud of him, and my father was in the Marines Reserves, and my, my grandfather was in the Navy, and so the only um, one that wasn't represented in our, in our family so far is the Air Force, but, you know, we might still see that. You never know. And I just want to thank, uh, thank all of our veterans and everybody who's actively serving now. Uh, we just really thank you for your service to our country. So I have some breaking news for you, John. Nice, nice. I like the breaking news. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you know our old friend Bill Walker, the former governor of Alaska. Now you good remember old he, Bill. Yeah, good old Bill Walker. And uh, you know, Bill Walker uh, tried to get that gas line to, to go and he, he, he tried to sell it to China and basically China was going to come in and, and build the whole thing and take a big operating share of it um, back when he was governor. Alaskans really didn't like that too much, but he's got his band back together again. And he is going to make a play to buy the Alaska pipeline project, the gas line project from the AGDC. So the AGDC has gotten most of its permits, all the big permits it needed and now is actually looking for somebody to take over the project and uh, to privatize it, which is kind of what the direction it was going in earlier was with Parnell, they were gonna, with Governor Parnell, they were going to privatize the project. They wanted the private sector to remain in the driver's seat and the public sector to only be a partner, you know, a governing partner, because it, we, you know, there's still a lot of permits that the government has to issue. But when the, when the, uh, when Walker became governor, he wanted, he actually, nationalized the pipe, the gas line, and made it all a state project, which is kind of where it still is today, only under the Dunleave administration now, he wants to privatize it again. And so now that all the permits are pretty much, the big permits are done, the ones that are needed in order to sell this project, Bill Walker has gotten this band back together with the former chair, um, executive director of AGDC, the Alaska Gas Line Development Authority, Keith Meyer, who's from Texas, also Joey Merrick, who's head of the Laborers Union, and Bernie Carl, who's on the board of um, the Alaska Industrial Development and Export Authority. They have no money, but they have a website. They've got a website, and uh, they're they're putting together a play to actually buy this project, which is you know it's a it's a forty billion dollar project. Where are they going to come up with the money? Well, well maybe uh, you know, <laughs> I got some. Uh... I got you some strange idea? ideas for him. You know, they could probably ask uh, Hunter Biden for some of it. He'd probably be on the board for them, I bet. You know, he's got not he got not a lot of whole lot to do right now. So I've heard he's got connections in China and, you know, could probably funnel some money their way. 
Well, actually, you're kind of onto something. I think I think that what they're going to do is they is that they think that they have inroads into the new you know incoming possibly incoming Biden administration, and that they can go to the federal government and try to you know get some help from the federal government to invest in this project. But they've got a website. They just they just announced it today. It's um, aglng.com. And so uh, that and I, I went. I, I'm going to be writing a story about this later today on the Must Read Alaska website, but you can go there now while you're waiting for the story to, to pop up, aglng.com. And basically they're saying, we think that we are going to get this project going because we're the, we're the team that could do it. So I, I think it's fascinating and it's the uh, gas line project that Alaska has always wanted and it's now pretty well permitted, but you just got to say who's got $40 billion lying around you always want to go where the money is, and that would be the federal government. So we'll see. We'll see if they can do it. Yeah, you know, it'd be nice to have a project like that. Um, you know, we could all count on our hands the amount of projects that Alaska's uh, screwed up over the past. Sure. You know, the list goes on and on and on. And, you know, in my opinion, it, this project that, you know, when I was hearing, I was the chief of staff for the Kenai Peninsula Borough when this project, when Walker was kind of getting some traction for this project. You know, in all the meetings I was in with him and all of his to-dos, the the lay of the land was like, well, you know, it really doesn't pencil out and doesn't make that much money. So that's kind of why the state needs to subsidize. And I just don't see, you know, I would love to be wrong, but I just don't see uh, major oil companies getting excited about this when the price of gas is so cheap. Uh, right. natural gas even lng and and uh it, you know it it would be nice uh but i just don't see it happening in this climate i mean we can't even the state of alaska can't even keep bp in our state and you know those kinds of things how the heck are we going to pull this off but, well that's an interesting point and the and and really they're probably going to sell it as a green project to an incoming administration that has promised the sort of green new deal. But honestly, environmentalists do not like uh, natural gas because natural gas is still uh, a greenhouse gas producer. And so, you know, they want to go all solar and all, I don't know how they think electric cars are run in the lower 48. They're all run on coal, but anyway, uh, they, they want, they want to just take this uh, natural gas play off the table entirely because it's contributing greenhouse gases. So I don't think it will fly with the environmentalists that are gonna be running the show if Biden wins, but we'll see. Hey, speaking of which, um, we are, we're gonna see some, some votes getting counted on Tuesday. You ready for that, John? Oh man, I heard we've got a lot, a lot of votes to still count. And uh, you know, I don't, I don't know what all this hubbub is about people trying to call an election left and right, but uh, we still have, you know, what? 150,000 or so votes to count? Hard to say. Okay, so last week the media was saying there would be 120,000 ballots or so remaining. And I was projecting, and I'm just going to say I projected 147,600 ballots remaining. This week, what we're hearing is that it's 132,000 ballots remaining. And these are all the absentee ballots and then the, the, uh, the early voting that was done the Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday before the elections, so those five days. That would be maybe responsible for about 7,000 votes. But they're saying now it's about 132,000 altogether. And the question is, why is it such an elastic, elastic number? Well, it's because we have so many absentee ballots out there in the wild. 
Now remember, the Lieutenant Governor approved having the Division of Elections send absentee ballots to all Alaskans 65 years or older. They weren't the ballots, they were the applications. And then people applied for those ballots and they were sent out. And then we're waiting to see how, what percentage of those will actually get turned back in. And that's why you don't know. You know how many were sent out, you just don't know how many are coming back in. But um, they will start counting it on Tuesday. And I believe we're, we're gonna get some numbers on Tuesday. It'll probably be uh, you know, pretty, pretty much be able to figure out where, where some of these races are going. For instance, let's just talk about the Al Gross campaign for a minute. Um, I, I find it fascinating that they think that they're gonna win. But remember, they hired this group called Landslide Political or uh, Landslide Strategies out of Salt Lake City. And it's run by a guy named um, Bob Kubitschek, I think his name is, I don't know how you pronounce it. He used to be a state director for Obama for America. So he's an Obama guy. And they were paying people $25 an hour to fly up to Alaska and go to these um, pre-assigned neighborhoods and knock on pre-assigned doors, get these people to fill out absentee ballot applications and then return, return them. So they, they go knock on the door again and try to get them to give their ballots to them so that they could go and make sure they were delivered. Now, I don't know if they were harvesting all ballots or if you said that you weren't voting for Al Gross if they were making your ballot disappear. Now, that would be probably illegal, but actually I don't know if it is. Um, in this state. I don't know if the laws protect us against ballot harvesting. So um, there, there is a big imbalance because we have these people swarming some of our districts and we're really talking about um, most of the places they weren't were really low hanging fruit. They were like Anchorage and Fairbanks, some degree the Matsu in the more populated areas, but you know they weren't going to the more sparsely populated areas like Willow or Big Lake where people are far, far apart and most of them are Republican. They're just hitting the heavily Democrat areas, so that would be the urban areas. And um, you know, so we just we have a lot of ways that we vote in Alaska. We can vote by mail, we can vote by question ballot, we can vote by fax, vote by online. Um, in other words, an email vote, if you, if you fill out the right paperwork, you do that. And so there, um, there's just a lot of ways that these ballots can, that can come in. But there are races that are, are close to call. Now, Donald Trump is not one of them. That one, I think we can say he's definitely going to win Alaska. And um, I, don't know, I don't know why the national media hasn't called that when they've called other races. I mean, it's obvious he's going to win, but they just put him in the sort of presumed category. They don't know. Now, Al Gross, though, Al Gross needs 70% of the remaining vote to win. Now, and just to put it another way, you know, if you took all those remaining votes that are out there that we haven't counted yet, and you kicked out all the Republican votes, he would need 90% of the remaining Democrat and undeclared nonpartisan votes. He'd need 90% of everybody who is not a Republican. And for some reason, he's up there on Twitter every day saying all votes must be counted. All votes. Now that is really interesting. His language is interesting, don't you think? You know, it's this is where the uh, the Democrats uh, outsmart the Republicans with this kind of stuff because they're out there pounding on doors and and you know getting people to turn in their ballots. And if you've seen some of these videos on Facebook, they're not from Alaska, but just from the lower 48. It's people basically enticing 
somebody knocks on your door and they're like enticing you and selling you like they're a used car salesman on you need to you know get your ballot and you need to vote these people and and i think it goes too far in some regards but also it goes to show you that um they've outplayed the republican party this year with the absentee ballots um well, here here in alaska right here in anchorage uh they had they were going door to door in uh the summertime and they were telling people you do not want to go to the polls bad things are going to happen if you go to the polls you need to vote your ballot absentee so let me give you your absentee application and then they come back and knock on the door and say you really want to give me your ballot i will we'll deposit it for you they were very very aggressive i talked to a guy who uh who had somebody come to his door in in anchorage and they knocked on the door and they um, said yeah well where are you from the guy had a really thick accent and he said he was from moscow He's from Moscow. I said, okay, Moscow, Idaho. Said, no, he was from Moscow, Russia. He was here door knocking on behalf of Al Gross. Now he says he lives here now. I presume he's a citizen, maybe, maybe not. But I mean, yeah, okay, Russian interference. I don't know. I wanted to talk to you about some of the local races though um, yep. that we were looking at. So I've seen an analysis from one of my friends who's a really good data person. And, and, and he's given me a rundown of what some of our closer races need to get in order to win. So he has figured out that in District 4 Fairbanks, Keith Kerber, who's a Republican running against the, the um, incumbent Greer Hopkins, Hopkins needs 56.31% of the remaining votes in order to win. And that might be possible for him if the Al Gross ballot harvesting people were out there in his neighborhood. And then you, you drop over to Kevin McKinley, who's in District 5. Now, he's the Republican running against the incumbent, Adam Wool, who's the Democrat. And, and Adam needs 58% of the remaining votes in order to win. That is a little higher hill to climb, 2% higher. And the question is, where were those Al Gross door knockers? Because that was the big, that was the big field game that was being played. Now, if you drop down to Mike Cronk, who represents a huge swath of the interior from Toke all the way to South uh, Fairbanks, um, he actually is doing so well, this Julie Halnicka would have to get 82% of the remaining votes to win. He is completely safe. He's probably and in the clear. He's in the clear. And then if you go to Chris Kirker, who's in Wasilla, Big Lake area, Chris Kirker, District 7, he's a Republican running there. His opponent, whose name I can't remember, <laughs> would have to get 102% of remaining votes to win. I well, mean, he's, well, he's out. Well, if you, if you lived in Wisconsin, you might be able to pull that off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Kevin McCabe, same thing in Wasilla. His opponent would have to get 138% of the remaining votes to win. It just isn't going to happen. But, if, but then you go down to, to Anchorage, and it gets a little dicier. You, you got to District 23, which is uh, Kathy Hensley, and that is the sort of the Campbell Lake Taku uh, district, and she won it. She's the she's the Republican who won the, her primary against Connie Doherty. She's running against Chris Tuck, the incumbent Democrat, in the House. And Chris needs about sixty four percent of the remaining vote to win. But there is an interesting thing about that particular race, and that is because Tom Hewitt, as the Alaska Independence Party candidate, is in the middle of that race. He is a third party candidate, and he's not peeling off votes from Kathy. He's peeling off votes from the incumbent. So she may be in a, in a pretty good spot. Um, now, in the past, uh, Chris Tuck has gotten about 63% of all absentees in that district. 
So we're talking about a 1% margin. That one might go to a recount. And then uh, if you drop down to District, uh, District 24, where Tom McKay won in the primary against Chuck Kopp, he's, you know, he's, he's, he's really set. The, his, his opponent needs 85% of, of remaining ballots to win. But in District 25, that's Mel Gillis, the Republican. And he, um, he, he may be in a, a position where that one goes to a recount as well. Andy Holloman needs, uh, uh, not Andy Holloman, who's, who's the guy who's, who's, who's running against Mel Gillis? His opponent needs 61% of the remaining ballots. But what's a little worrisome about Mel Gillis is that in his district, he underperformed Donald Trump a little bit. And as a Republican, I, I hate to see that, but um, I still think Mel Gillis will be fine in that district. And I also think District 27 will be fine. Um, Lance Pruitt running against Liz Snyder. Now she's running against him for the second time. Lance Pruitt is the, is the incumbent. Uh, he is the House Minority Leader. He's, he was born and raised in that district. She was raised in Florida and she moved here about 10 years ago. But uh, she needs 63% of the remaining ballots to win. Now, remember, that would, that would represent a huge blue wave if she got that. That would actually impact, you know, that would mean all of Anchorage is going through a blue wave. We'll see. And that, you know, the Algros people were knocking on doors in that district. But she underperformed her whole ticket. She, she didn't do all that well. She sure spent a lot of money, though. Oh, $600,000 or something. She was amazing. That was a very expensive race, most expensive in Alaska. By the way, I wanted to tell you about when um, the counting starts tomorrow. Everybody should um, know that the Nome counting will not start tomorrow. So that Nome Judicial District, they still haven't received their, um, their register lists from the different villages. So all of those North, North Slope, all, all those ballots go, all those villages out in the Northern sector go to Nome to be counted. And they're waiting for the registers to show up. And what those are, they show up in a sealed container. If the container's open, then, then they know that, that they've been tampered with. So they show up, they have to be sealed. And then what happens is the people in Nome, they check them against what was said to them over the phone on election night. And then they check them against um, other registers, about three ways that they check them. But the fact is, is that entire district is not going to be counted tomorrow because, I don't know, they're not arriving by dog sled, U.S. mail, they're arriving by mail, and it's just really, really slow. So that's your rundown on- That's a good the, rundown right there. That's, uh, I mean, if people were really interested in percentages, which I think they are, um, that gives you the exact percentages, which is pretty well. Awesome. That's that's our best guess. So afterwards, we'll see how we did. I mean, it's all they're still guessing, but we're doing it on pretty good information. So tell me about the national races and and you know these this national race against uh, Donald Trump looks like the Democrats have called it already. And, and what are your thoughts on this? Well, I can tell you that uh, at least from my opinion that uh, the you know the media, whether it's CNN or Fox News or MSNBC, you know. Uh, unbeknownst to popular opinion in their own regards, they don't get a call to presidential race uh, just because they wave their magic wand and they do their little counts. It doesn't mean that Joe Biden is the president elect. We actually have a process for uh, an election, a presidential election and that person becoming the new president. So I think what, what we'll see in the next uh, several weeks is Donald Trump is gonna be fighting all these states in legal battles. And if you can remember back in 2000, when George Bush Jr. was against Al Gore, 
Al Gore was the winner, I think for like 30 days or whatever it was, the media was telling all of us that Al Gore is your president elect and he's gonna be the next president and you know he's gonna bring change and blah, 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 blah. Well, uh, Bush uh, Jr. was like, uh, hold my beer for a second. I'm gonna go <laughs> to what's, what's called the Supreme Court and see if this was actually uh, the way it was supposed to turn out. And so that is happening again. It's like we are so quick to forget what actually has happened before in our history. And CNN does not decide who the president is. The electoral college, the electoral votes decide who the president is. And so what happens from here is that Donald Trump will, is going to fight all these things in, in the court, uh, Supreme Court and state courts and whatnot. And then uh, on December 8th, this is what the dates are. On December 8th uh, is the deadline for resolving all election, election disputes at the state level. Mm -hmm. um, and so you can find this uh, kind of helpful guide if people want to look for it. Just Google AP Associated Press uh, Electoral College and this pops up. And December 8th is the deadline for resolving all elect election disputes at a state level. And then on December 14th, the electoral in each state vote on who they want their president and their vice president to be in some in some states or most states. Oh, the electors and vote. Yeah, the, the, electors the, vote. Well, the electors vote. Yeah, the electors vote and they vote on a paper ballot and they they vote for who they have basically promised that they're going to vote for. And we are not a popular vote state. The electorals vote on this stuff. And December 23rd is when it's certified and it's set to the designated officials. Um, and then on, on January 6th, the House and the Senate hold a joint session and they get to either approve or you know deny this, this decision. And so um, even if Donald Trump fights this in Supreme Court, it's going to be very contentious Let's say he fights this in Supreme Court and he wins the election. It's still going to be very, very contentious, uh, I think, because ultimately this is going to end up on January 6th. The House is going to have a very big argument, and I don't think the Republicans are going to are going to take the House, and so it's going to be contentious either way. I think that Donald Trump. I personally think that Donald Trump is going to succeed just like George Bush Jr. did back in 2000 and he's going to call he's got a month or two months or whatever it is to sniff out all this fraud that has potentially happened in each of these states and he's got that time to do his due diligence and his legal team to do their due diligence to find out is Joe Biden in fact the winner in some of these contentious states or was Donald Trump because if you can remember back on election night Donald Trump was winning in all of those seven states that were kind of uh, the light shade of red in most of the uh, uh, CNN and MSNBC and Fox News. And then some of those states, they say, even said, we're not going to count any more votes. And then miraculously overnight, oh, uh, Joe Biden took, took all those states and, and is now winning. And I just think that for the mainstream media to say, Joe Biden is your next president, is the president-elect, is just political grandstanding. And we don't actually know if he's the president-elect yet because the electoral has not voted on this and we'll see what their vote is on uh, December 14th. Well, okay, so that said, I'm just gonna say that, you know, they, they, they got a little head over their skis, no question that the media has gotten over its skis 
and they did it way, way too early. There's no reason they couldn't have waited till Monday when they started making the declaration on Friday and Saturday that, uh, that uh, Joe Biden had won. But what's interesting is that they have set it up so well that if for some reason any of these states flip, um, there will be some sort of revolution. I mean, the, the uh, Antifa, BLM, and all the rest of the people the, will take the streets. But I will say this, there are now 76, 76 million votes for Joe Biden and 71.2 million for Donald Trump. So that is a pretty big differential. Um, you know, it's, a, it's almost 5 million votes that say that in the popular vote, that he won. Now that's not the electoral vote. And we know that the coasts are really dominating the electoral college, of course, but they've called all the states now, except for, I think, North Carolina, that is 99% reporting. And Donald Trump, it looks like he's winning North Carolina by a couple percentage points. And of course, um, Alaska hasn't reported yet. So even though, um, even though it, it could go to court and some of these states could flip, you still do have so many popular votes that have gone in and I'm thinking, I'm thinking it's hard to game out to, to have 5 million fraudulent votes. I'm thinking that's a little hard to do. So I am actually proceeding as though this is probably going to happen and that, um, and that, you know, quite honestly, we could see Donald Trump running again in four years. We really could. He, he's got the vitality to do it. So um, I don't know. I'm actually of the mind that this will probably go forward. But I, I also think that I want to see them go through these different states like Michigan, where there was obvious fraud in Michigan, Pennsylvania. There was all kinds of problems in Philadelphia. Um, there are dead people voting in, um, in Nevada. And the Trump campaign should actually challenge this just for the sake of our of our, of our constitutionally established system, we want fair and free elections. And right now it's really kind of a clown show. Hey, by the way, I've just got some new information on when the, what votes are going to be counted tomorrow. You want to hear what they are? I would love to. All right. Hang tight. I'm going to pull this up. It's going to take me a minute here. Okay. So definitely for tomorrow, um, if they can get region one and two A uh, cleared and open, they'll be counted. So the next count day will be announced tomorrow, but tomorrow we're going to see, looks like house district 29 and 34 will be question ballots. Early votes will be counted in 29 and 30 and in um, some of them in 34 and some of them in 33. And that starting at 9.30 a.m. on Tuesday, uh, they'll get all the absentee received from House District 15 and 16 and 19 through 21. And they'll, they'll count early votes from House Districts 14 through 16, 19 through 21, 26 and 27 for votes that were cast up through um, the third of, up until um, last Tuesday. So then they're also going to be counting um, House District 7 and 8 and 10 through 12 for all ballots, for all absentee ballots received through the first. Nice. They will not be counting question ballots there, but they'll be counting early votes for House District 7, 8 and 10 through 12, also cast 10, uh, 3 through 11, 3. 
So we're going to be seeing a lot of uh, votes getting counted tomorrow, and some of these races are really going to close up and we'll be done with them. Some of them, it looks like they won't be. So for the folks that are holding on to hope, just remember, Al Gore was your president for a number of days until George Bush Jr. took it to court. So there's still a little hope. That's what I like to hold on to. Hey, before we take a break and uh, close this thing out, I just want you to kind of go through some of the um, different social medias that we are on now, because we are seeing a lot of really bizarre stuff going on on Twitter. Some of the, the major conservative voices that are on Twitter are actually watching their followers being absolutely removed by Twitter by 10%, 20%. They're just simply disappearing. So there's something going on at Twitter where conservative voices are are being um, diminished. And so we've moved to uh, a lot of our stuff. We're going to be on Parler more and we'll be on Twitter still. But um, talk to talk to the um, the audience about Parler and some of the other social medias that we're, we're using. So uh, for those of you out there that primarily use Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, um, those are being censored and they have been being censored over the years and they're you know, they've cracked down a lot in the last, I would say, four or five months. And so we're going to start utilizing a couple, I, I would say, newer platforms to folks that are listening. One of those is the caucus room. And so if you just go to the caucusroom.com or just Google caucus room, um, you can find that it's it's a, a newer social media platform that's uh, been uh, put together by some conservative folks. And they kind of have a vetting process of even allowing you to open an account, which is nice. So it kind of gets rid of the bot accounts or the folks that are trying to pretend to be somebody they're not. And we've been on there for a while now and we post pretty regularly on there. So you could follow us on there. You just go on there and we're under Must Read Alaska. We have our own side page with them. And then Parlor is another one that we're gonna be uh, putting a lot more effort into as well. That one I would say is probably the most cutting edge, well-known, mainstream-ish getting uh, social media platform that has pronounced to the public that they are not going to censor, uh, that they're not going to shut down conservative voices or thoughts. And I've seen them, you know, over the last five days, I've seen on Facebook kind of a massive exodus of folks uh, shutting down their accounts to move over to move over to Parler, which, you know, I think is great. And so we'll be, you know, we're still going to use Facebook, but we're going to be on Parler as well a lot more. Yeah. And, you know, we've had an account with Parler for, for several months, but we, we haven't, we haven't done a lot with it, but, but we're, we're all of a sudden just like, Hey, we're recharging there. We're going to go up on Parler a lot more. And also we're going to be start posting on MeWe a lot more too. M-E-W-E.com. And again, they do not collect your data. They do not uh, use it in any big big data way. They're not trying to sell you things. They're not scraping your information. And they really are concerned about your privacy. And so we'll be posting a lot more um, of our content and having engagement over at MeWe, M-E-W-E.com. So, you know, I've been getting a lot of people requesting us to uh, accept them as, uh, as friends on MeWe. So apparently a lot of uh, Facebook users are really starting to look at some of these other things like Parler, MeWe, Caucus Room, of course, we're on YouTube too, and we're on Facebook as well. And so we'll, we'll do them all. But if we do see um, Facebook and Twitter doing more sort of repression of uh, conservative voices, well, we know we have another place to go. And we, a lot of conservatives are heading out the door toward, toward those. I do have one more prediction. Do it. 
if god forbid joe biden wins what you'll see from conservatives is they are going to go back to work on monday and keep plugging away and they're going to go vote again in four years you will not see rioting or burning down buildings or uh constantly chastising of the election process uh like we've seen over the last four years with president donald trump literally trying to impeach him because he hurt people's feelings and you're going to see conservatives just go about their lives keep plugging away spending time with their kids going to school working a job and that is the difference between either side yeah the left and the right although i will say a lot of conservatives are thinking this is a huge opportunity for them to take back the house in two years and that that's what they're going to be working on is that joe biden is, is going to be blocked in the senate uh, so long as we hold the senate um for conservatives biden will be blocked from doing some things of course there you know the epa up here that's a that's a, a big impact and he's biden controls the epa that's a big impact for us but um a lot of conservatives are seeing a big opportunity for taking back the uh, the house in two years so we'll see how that goes anyway i just want to thank you john quick thank you scott levac i love working with you guys we have a great team here at must read alaska i thank everybody who's listening to our podcast today and if you're a supporter of must read alaska i just want to thank you so much it really makes it possible for us to stand up for what's right in Alaska. Please support the conservative side of the news here. The donate button is on the right side of mustreadalaska.com and you allow us to continue to stand up for the constitution and for independence and liberty and saying the Pledge of Allegiance in schools and the and against the big liberal media that's always out there trying to trying to break down our society. Until next week, we're signing off from somewhere in Alaska. Take it away, Scott.